and welcome back to Vox Popcast, the weekly pseudo-accurate pop culture analysis with drinking and swearing. My name is Christopher Maverick, you can call me Mav, and I am once again here with my co-host, Wayne Wise. How's it going, Wayne? Good, Mav. I feel like I've been away for a while, so... I mean, you have been, or maybe you were on last week, because we're recording two shows back-to-back, and I'm not yeah, sure which order they're coming out in. Well, so well, if I was here last week, I'm sure I was awesome. Yeah. <laughs> I either feel like I've been away for a long time, or we just did this. Yeah, yeah or we just did it yesterday. Yeah, right. I would say. I'm not sure how this is going to work out. <laughs> we'll see. Uh, Does anybody care about our weird behind-the-scenes no, stuff? I, don't know. I get lost on, you know, I have, I think, like, one time had to do an edit where I said I was on the wrong show where <laughs> just like I just forget sometimes in between the two podcasts and I don't know as I say frequently on Twitter and on Facebook in a perfect world I am on every podcast every week <laughs> but um we don't have these that often but we should have them more often I didn't pick a topic today and you didn't pick a topic today so nope. I get to introduce the guest before we introduce the topic because returning is our very first guest ever and he's been on many times since then but John Dorowski hey John hello welcome back John thank you Wayne so uh, John what the hell are we doing today? <laughs> right. So I have an upcoming essay project about the ages of superheroes for an essay collection. Mm-hmm. And I thought, hey, let's discuss that because while it seems like the golden age and silver age are well-defined and pretty agreed upon, it bronze age and beyond, there's a lot of different points of view. And I have my ideas that I'm going to use for the essay, but I want to get more input and see what other people think about this, mm-hmm. how they might define it. And also in general, why is it worthwhile to define history mm-hmm. in these discrete segments? We, they've been doing it since ancient Greece with mm-hmm. Ovid and Hesiod creating their histories. Now they were a little more fictional than right. what we try, but you know, historians divide history up into segments. They study their segments. They don't. But, so why is that valuable or worthwhile to do? Mm-hmm. And we should specify because this came up on on the show once before too. We're talking about superheroes today, not necessarily comics. They mm-hmm. are roughly analogous, but not exactly. Exactly. Yeah, and to I, I think we should get into that a little bit as well. Yeah. How, you know, like the default for the ages of comics seems to be superheroes because that's been the dom genre. But I it's think not it's, necessarily I think, true. Yeah. yeah, I think it's a worthwhile exercise. Like, OK, if we take superheroes out of the equation, how do we define errors? Mm-hmm. Or if we take uh, comics, I, I would argue the alternative is to take comics out of the equation. And how do we define them for superheroes? Because I don't think it matches yeah. up exactly there either. Well, you and I talked about this, Mav, you know, the anecdote from that you talked about in dissertation when you know, yeah. you're know you using the, those who are into comics use these terms you know, just because we do. We know what mm-hmm. they mean. We know what they mean well enough that we can talk to each other without arguing. No. Yes. Or to the or, extent or, that it... Yeah, most of the time. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Most of the time, to the extent that it doesn't match up. So John even said this, you know, we don't all agree on everything, but to the extent mm-hmm. that it doesn't match up for most conversations, it won't matter. And then unless you're making a conversation about specifically, well, I think the era should be redefined as this versus this. And, you know, just to recap, during my exams, my comprehensive exams, exams for my PhD, they asked me to describe something, the details of which are not that important. I don't really remember. And I had said, well, okay, it depends on if we're approaching this from a Silver Age perspective or a Bronze Age perspective. And I said, whatever I said. And then finally, one of my professors stopped me and he says, okay, I need you to explain that. And I was like, explain what? And I was thinking it was he, it was about the larger point. He's like, you use that term Bronze Age a lot. And I was like, oh, okay, sure. And he goes, well, so are, are there ages of comics? And I was like, well, I mean, yeah, roughly golden, silver, bronze modern you know 
know, sort of like we do with every other media type. And he goes, okay, so when are they? And I was like, when are what? And he goes, when is the golden age? When is the bronze age? You know, when, when, and I was like, okay, golden age, 1938, 1955, silver, 55 to eh, 71, bronze, I guess, 71 to maybe 86 and modern everything after that. And he goes, where is that from? And I said, what do you mean? He's like, well, how did you learn that? Where is that written down? And at that point I was stumped and I just sat there and stared at them at professors and they're like, what's wrong? And I was like, I don't know where I learned that. And it's like, well, you must've read it somewhere. And I was like, I don't think so. I don't think I read it anywhere. And it's like, well, how do you, is it, I mean, did you make those up? And I was like, no, no, it's, there are things that we all say. And it's just, it's something that I've known since I was seven years old. Yeah. <laughs> I I, yeah. And I'm willing to bet you know, once again, being a little older, reading comics in the late sixties, early seventies, you DC would reprint golden age comics in the back of some yeah. of their hundred page specials. And I, you know, I can't remember if they refer to them as stories from the they golden would. age. Since or, then, they, but it's very vague. What would happen yeah. is in, in a silver age comic, they would say a classic tale from the golden age. Yeah, right. Right. And I read <laughs> all in color for dime in like mm-hmm. fifth grade, my dipping my toe into commies academia when I was, you know, 10. Um, and I'm, I'm sure they use the terminology in that book someplace, mm-hmm. but like but they you, didn't define it either. They, they wouldn't have defined it either. Right. Right. <laughs> just like, so you, my exposure to those terms is early enough. They just, they're baked into the way I think about the ages of comic. And I don't uh, normally pretty- use the years. I just, those are rough years. Like I have, yeah, right. I have oh, yeah. specific events yeah. that makes, I have specific events that makes those deviations for me. And I expect they're going to overlap, but not be the same as both of yours. But I'm pretty similar when I was getting into comics. It was mid nineties during the boom period. And we would, my brother and I just, we were the ones who were collecting. And so we would pretty frequently also get wizard magazine. And that's probably where I first encountered the yeah. terms and not knowing what they mean. Mm-hmm. Just that, Oh, that means something about old comics. I'm sure it's less old than gold. Right. Yeah. I, and I'm sure somewhere in a letters page, someplace in the 1960s, somebody used those terms for the first time. That is yeah. exactly right. That is usually what's pointed to as the origin of this yeah. differentiation is a letter, mm-hmm. I think, for Justice League of America, where someone said, oh, if like you know, the previous version of the Justice Society was the Golden Age and you've now ushered in the Silver Age. Yes. And that's what's pointed to as the beginning of this differentiation. Mm-hmm. Such that it is. <laughs> yeah. Okay, so should we define these ages for our listeners who aren't as familiar with this stuff as we are? And once again, when I say define with the caveat that the dates and the specific reasons for those dates are debatable. I want to add to that yeah. caveat before we even define it. Yeah. So, because I think yeah. one of the one of the weird things about comics is because comic book nerds, the three of us included, can be, you know, no pedantic weirdos. And actually, I try what? not to be. And I mean, it's kind of three That's of us what? roughly try not to be, but like. Yeah, That's what we were going to call this show, wasn't it? Pedantic weirdos. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, but that is functionally what the hobby is. People will argue and quibble, sometimes good natured, sometimes bloody, the yeah. the exact dates and everything. And much like they also, what's the definition of a superhero? Genres are not defined that way. Ages are not defined that way. Yeah. It's not like I can tell you exactly how many years ago the Paleolithic age was, right? right. It's just yeah. like, like there's a vague sense. It started, within, it started on with, a Thursday at 3 right. p.m. Right? <laughs> right. And it's like within a million years here ish, right? Like, <laughs> that's kind of that's kind of what we do. And I think that there are intents to try and define the specifics of when does this age start and end and how many ages are there more than just gold, mm. silver, bronze, modern, which I think we can talk about a little bit. But, you know, does anything predate golden age? And some people say it does. And they have various names like the, mm. you know, the Victorian the age, the platinum age. But like the platinum age is very definitely in response to the term golden age. Right. The yeah. iron age. 
but all of those, the one thing that I think most comic scholars, like I think the one date that we can probably put a relatively firm stake in the ground that almost every comic scholar and most comic fans will probably agree on is the golden age is roughly 1938. Yeah. <laughs> with, with the invention of Superman. Yeah. Action right. comics number one. Because yeah. one that changed everything. Yeah. yeah. So for a separate essay that I've already written, I looked really <laughs> closely at this and like looking at closely, yes, Superman's the beginning, but only retroactively. Yes, yeah. absolutely. Yeah. I don't right. think he's a superhero. That's a different discussion. Yeah. About two years for all the elements of the superhero to really be developed and become mm -hmm. a, a genre on its own. Mm -hmm. And then you can look back and say, oh, where did that stuff begin? And we have to do that for every age of, yeah. okay, this is right. stuff that defines age. When did it begin? Mm -hmm. And there are usually precursors that might be a few years before. And then even when we sit, whatever we define the start of an age, it'll take a few years for everyone to catch up with that. Mm -hmm. So there are these weird gaps and lulls and overlaps mm -hmm. of what defines an age. Yeah. But yeah, but as a rough period of time, yeah. the time surrounding the, well, not even the original, the, what most people consider the original incarnation of Superman, the yeah. original Clark Kent, the, <laughs> you know, like oh, that. Yeah. Action comics period. number one. Yeah. Yes. Right. And it's a, I mean, why do we consider this a separate age? Like, why is that important? I mean, mm -hmm. I guess because we have to start somewhere is basically the only reason. Yeah. It's kind of weird because, you know, people. Well, and for people who aren't as well first, that was not the first comic book. There have been comic no. books years out of that point. Yeah. And there were, we, you know, there are quibbles, for instance, talk about this a little bit in my dissertation and then I punt on the entire issue, but there are quibbles between the likes of, of Peter Coogan and Danny Fingeroff and Chris Gobbler, who's been on the show, mm -hmm. Danny's been on the show, as to, you know, what constitutes a superhero? Is Superman really the first or not? And I mostly don't care about that question. I say Superman is a superhero. I also think the Phantom, who predates Superman as a superhero, whereas Peter Coogan thinks he's not. But even if you're going to argue that Superman is a superhero and therefore first, he is first in that he is the first story in Action Comics number one. However, Action Comics number one also includes Zatara story. And I think Z Zatara is a superhero, so I don't know what to do with that. Like They were published the same day, necessarily. Well, that's the thing. Of also, as time goes on, Zatara got folded into the DC story world, whereas the other characters who appeared in Action Comics number one did not. Which, does that matter? Is it, I mean, is well, it, I don't know that it matters. Yeah, well, it, what matters is everyone forgot about Zatara and Superman became far more popular. So you, that's where the focus <laughs> is. You know. well, I would never forget Zatara. Cool. I think Zatara is awesome. And is, but he, he is outdated by his daughter at this point. If you're a listener of the show, you might know Zatanna more than Zatara. Yeah. This is also an important point because when we get to the Silver Age, went to the first appearance of the new Flash, Barry Allen, blanking on the comic book title. Showcase. Showcase. Yeah. Showcase number four. God, yeah. we're nerds. Like, number four. I just couldn't think yes. of Showcase. So Showcase number four, where Flash appears on the cover and is the mm -hmm. lead story, but he's preceded by Martian Manhunter as a backup story in Detective Comics, and mm -hmm. that woman's showing up as well. Right. Mm -hmm. The first Batman mm -hmm. woman. And so, like again, you have these precursors, but because they were shunted the back pages or didn't have regular appearances, they don't count as the first of this new age. Right. And people use that for Flash as the arbitrary beginning of the Silver Age, and in the superhero genre, that makes complete sense to me, given what you just said. But, you know, what that, What year was that? That was 57, so we've had two years of the code by that point. So I see the introduction of the comic code as very definitely separating ages of comics as a whole. Yeah, this is, that's one of the few cases but, where you can look at something to 
definitive and say there was before and after the creation of the Comics Code Authority and the Comics Code of the rules and guidelines that would censor comics for the next 50 years yeah. to some degree or another. Yeah. Um, you, yeah, you point to that and say, yeah, there, there's all the stuff before and then there's all the stuff after. Mm-hmm. That's, I mean, I, it does affect the history of superheroes, but that's also in the history of comic books. That is one of those paradigm shift points. Yeah. So, so Silver Age, roughly late 50s, you know, postcode, the Flash. Then yet, you, you know, the other term that confuses thing is Marvel Age of Comics, which refers mm-hmm. specifically to Marvel, which you yeah, can well, say, that's when you get to, are we talking superheroes in but, general, or are you going to look at the history right. of your companies? Right. And right. And, and, yeah. Because the Marvel Age, attempts, co- yeah. Yeah, the Marvel Age coincides with the Silver Age. The Marvel Age just stands attempt to brand it as his own, right? Yeah, like, right. Yeah. So. And referring yeah, specifically to Marvel Comics. You guys said the example of it could take a few years for everyone to get on board with what the new age style is and yeah. creation of Marvel Comics in 61 ish. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I think we're, but I think we're well into Silver Age. Age. Yeah, because I would say Silver Age starts to, for me, Silver Age, the defining line, and this is where we're going to be a little fuzzy, right? Because I think we yeah. mostly oh, agree we on 38. But I think that, right. And I, and for me, the thing that starts the Silver Age is not a comic at all. It's the publication of Seduction of the Innocent, and, mm. which necessitates the comics code going and happening. Mm. So it's, so for me, Silver Age is 54, 55. That's mm. it. Yeah. That, oh, that's yeah, the dividing line. I just say that's I, the yeah, creation I, of the comics code, not Seduction mm. of the Innocent. So that's, you know, just a thing of quibbling about where exactly mm-hmm. the... Yeah. Oh, and those things are the demarcation for me as well. I mean, people right. typically point to the first the Flash, Flash. Mm-hmm. because that launched what came the next superhero renaissance. But yeah, for me, the code is the demarcation. Yeah, so it's, uh, there's so many factors to look at. It's not just what characters are there. There's who the creators are, what's going on the business side, what's going on the retail mm-hmm. side, back the stories. And each one of those could be their own history as well. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That, well, and okay. So, and then the Bronze Age gets even fuzzier in terms of when that yeah. gets. Yeah, well, that's. Yeah. I expect the Bronze Age is the one where. So, okay. So, what makes it a Silver Age story? Because I, I think Golden Age is easy because it's the advent of superheroes and the world changes with Action Comics Number One. It becomes the predominant style of entertainment for youth. It, you know, because these comics, Superman comics, Batman comics, and Wiz comics featuring Shazam are selling you know yeah. bajillion copies, right? Like, so I get that. For me, but, the Silver Age is about the code and the shift yeah. to. Go I'm going to jump. I'm going to jump back to the end of the Golden Age though, because mm-hmm. all those points we're making are about the superhero comic but after world war ii the superhero genre kind of died kind of dies and it was, it was mm-hmm. horror and crime and romance so starting in 1947 1948 up until the code the comics industry looked very different than it did in the beginning right. of the 40s, but we still group that as part of the golden age part of the golden age yes yeah and you can get really granular on these yeah. things i've seen that 48 to 54 period called like the atomic age to differentiate yeah. from that superhero craze <laughs> for, from 38 to 48 except for and that's a stupid name because it focuses on the you know so during that period you also have science fiction comics you have weird tales you have monster comics but I'd say crime comics were bigger than all those so mm-hmm. I, like yeah, it, more it, of the world how you of it. atomic mm-hmm. power yeah and yes. what's going on in comic books yes yeah. absolutely it is comics that are well actually I shouldn't even say comics and I wish Katya were here to talk <laughs> about it but it is media comics and sci-fi dealing with anxieties about the bomb mm-hmm. because you know we just had America just you know destroyed two cities you know so, so yeah. like like that was a it was like oh we've got some serious power now that we've got to deal with and nuclear anxiety became well they called it a t- atomic anxiety at the time but mm-hmm. it became like a major issue overnight that combined with the you know the very real horrors of the Holocaust still obviously fresh in everybody's mind because it had just happened mm-hmm. so like literally we are entering a world that looks very different 
different than the pre-World War II world. And I mean, the code, the stuff that led to all that, you know, the fears of mm-hmm. communism, the blacklisting in Hollywood, you know, that was all of a part of this, you know, in many ways, deep-seated fear and paranoia. Mm-hmm. Uh, the start of the Cold War. Uh, yeah. You have to throw in the juvenile delinquency scare, too. Yeah, right. Which I'd say is tied up in it. I'd say, yeah. the, I'd say the fear of juvenile delinquency is partly because, and this is a large part of my research is dealing with like youth culture. I always say teenagers didn't exist until we invented them in the middle of the 20th century. Like they were young adult, but they didn't work the same way. <laughs> and until Archie invented teenagers, they didn't exist. Yeah. Uh, I wouldn't so, say just Archie, but yeah, but yeah. Archie and a bunch of, and a bunch of movies, you know, like, like uh, movies starring, you know, Judy Garland and Andy well, Rooney, but like it's, we invent these teenagers who we're afraid of because they have disposable income and cars and it like it changes fundamentally who we are and then after the war after world war ii we had these teenagers who we sent to war so now they've come back and they could kill you and like they're like there's a very real i think the anxiety around the fear of juvenile delinquency which is what you know we talk about seduction of the innocent because it's the anti-comic books book but it's not really about that it's actually about the fear of youth culture comics Mm -hmm. is the big boogeyman in the book but it's it's really about juvenile delinquency and that's what the hint this hearings were on the hearings were not on comics that was only a part of it the syndicate committee hearings were on juvenile delinquency because we're afraid of kids becoming miscreants and also gay yeah you know they were very homophobic but that's the fear and i think a lot of the silver age of comics is a it is an attempt to sort of create media that might keep them in their place it is trying to be you know didactic completely coincidentally mm-hmm. i've also written an essay on this that's coming out soon <laughs> yeah <laughs> this will be the uh, ages of batman i believe mm-hmm. mav you have an essay in as well i do have uh, an, i have a very uh, an essay that's totally about batman and not secretly about kite man i swear <laughs> yeah, well, i wrote about robin's 30 year adolescence which covers 40 to that, almost 70 before he's declared yeah. a, he, hey, he so, goes off to college and becomes the teen wonder yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, so yeah that's actually as well in, yeah. in about 1970 mm-hmm. so it, you know covering all uh, gold and silver age and this is central to it is this uh, scare about the juvenile delinquency mm-hmm. well so okay so that's the silver age then right like so the silver age is dealing with these fears of juvenile delinquency comics become silly in the silver age because the code mandates that they're for children so you end up with comics where jimmy olsen is constantly accidentally turning himself into something dangerous and superman has to go save him and put him in this place and then also he spanks lois a lot it's you know there's a lot of sexual repression that's kind of weird but the silver age has a lot of that goofiness at least until marvel tries to do something serious with it but it's still the seriousness of what stan tries to call the marvel age and stan tries to denote as something special and different in the 60s is still very much a very sanctified very clean version of what comics could become and what they were prior to the silver to the code coming into effect yeah and the other part of that is with the atomic anxieties there's a lot of let's call it science fantasy yeah uh, where it's ostensibly using science to create all these problems especially marvel where half the heroes are get their powers from radiation and you prior to fantastic four there were just all these giant monster comics you know the monster Mm -hmm. another planet came in and you know there's the the hill that walked like a man right and there's (laughs) the godzilla precedent for that which is also Mm -hmm. all about you know atomic anxiety Mm -hmm. that was huge but then that became part of i mean first fantastic four has a giant monster on so you know it it was a natural aggression of that yeah like if you actually when you read that first issue of fantastic four it really is a monster 
monster comic, not a yeah. Right. They don't have he- they don't have costumes for the first four issues. They have costumes, the body horror sequence of their transformations. Yeah, is mm-hmm. really disturbing. And then yeah, it's a they battle, go and battle a giant monster. Right. So and through the Silver Age, we start getting comics that are more re- quote unquote realistic through Marvel, and DC finally picks up vibe on that. So let's talk about where does that end and the Bronze Age begin? And I think that's a fuzzier question. That's the one where I think it's going to be real fuzzy, and I think we're going to disagree a bit because we should kind of point out that during the Silver Age is also where outside of yeah it was then the big two comic companies Marvel and DC as everybody else is being steadily diminished run out of business sued for various reasons you have indie comics underground comics at one point indie comics later who are pushing the envelope and not doing code proof things it's just that they have a print run of like five copies and some guys you know somebody is selling them out of a out of a baby yeah. carriage you know Robert Crumb yeah. <laughs> yeah. is like running around literally selling his comics that he has photocopied himself out of you know out of stroller in San Francisco during this era with and that's what Zap Comics was doing and he's doing very grown up things women's comics very grown up things queer comics very grown up things and Marvel and DC can't touch those they can't touch drug culture they miss the sexual revolution they more or less miss the civil rights movement because the code sort of prohibits them dealing with serious issues because they can't Mm -hmm. take it seriously so comics misses the 50s you know the 50s and 60s this formative time of American culture is just sort of it's sort of weirdly trapped in this Pleasantville-esque 1940s during that era you can find the elements but they're really coded yeah oh yeah and, right, you know, right. And, and it's like well-meaning codes but not able to really say anything about the topic the X-Men you know stand presented as this metaphor for minorities early on and it's not actually doesn't work for a dozen issues and then he starts getting into it but it's so layered on these ideas of white teens standing right. in for these civil mm-hmm. rights and yeah it's like you, you really have to do your work to interpret it to see yeah. and you can see as a scholar you can see that he's trying but it yeah. is yeah. weird yeah yeah like everybody hates and fears us because we're different we look like you know white teenagers just like spider-man but we're different and it's mm-hmm. and it's really hard to it's very hard to explain well, and, and, it, and that's a flaw that's a flaw in the yeah. silver age model um and we have a coded gay character in Sergeant Fury. Percy. He had a hat yeah. and he was an effeminate British man. But, you know, but they couldn't come out and say that. But it was mm-hmm. certainly coded there. In the meantime, in the underground comics, C-O-M-I-X, they're telling stories about gay people coming out. You know, like mm-hmm. it, it, it just it's part of what they do. And drugs and sex and mm-hmm. you know, anti-establishment stuff. That's all running it coincides with toward the end of the Silver Age. And I think sets up what happened certainly in the 70s and 80s with independent comics. But that's stuff people didn't see unless you were going to shops. Yeah. yeah. So let's move to the Bronze Age then and see how this all falls out into a new style of storytelling. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I have said there, you know, we'll quibble about what point is exactly a change. I say there's, a lot, well, a lot of people point to the death of Gwen Stacy as mm-hmm. like, but that's only I'd in storytelling. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I definitely point to the revision of the code, yeah. the comics code that allowed for more content, particularly in the early 70s, you're going to have this boom of monster comics that yeah. basically verbatim during the first version of the code and now that they allowed him back in there was this explosion of it and so but all those monster characters were part of superhero story world that's different from the earlier monster comics well I think a lot of people point to the Spider-Man drug issue 96 to 98 that's mine yep yep and I that's I tend to agree with that one because the change the rewriting of the code was in response to that and the green yes. green lantern green arrow my my ward is a junkie issue with speed okay. 85 to 86 yeah 
I am looking. So if I recall the history, it's at the meeting of the organization that controls the code. Dan did ask permission to do the drug story, which was at the behest of the government. Yeah, the government. Yeah, specifically. Nixon specific. Richard Nixon specifically asked Stan Lee to do something about the drug problem in his anti-drug story. So at that meeting, the people in charge of the code said, no, we can't approve it, but let's change the code so we can do it in the future. So that's where Mm -hmm. the discussion began. And it was because of that issue. Stan went ahead and published it about code. So yeah, and nothing had nobody noticed. Right. It had been, been, I mean, it it seems like forever, but it had been 16 years and nobody really remembered what the code was for anymore. Yeah. Because the kids who are 16 years old now or 13 years old, prime comic book reading age, weren't born yet when it came into effect. The kids that it was supposed to protect were adults now with children of their own. Like why the people retailing comics just like that's what comics look like and didn't give it a second thought. Right. So no one noticed that. I mean, I shouldn't say no one noticed that's a, but like for the most part, there was no effect on sales or anything else of just skipping the code for those three issues. And in 1971, it, it is amazing. Spider-Man yeah. number 96 through 98 and is May through July, 1971. And they just don't have a comics code on it. And I mean, to say it's a drug story, it very much is still a silver age story. It's um, oh, yeah. there's drugs in it in that, you know, Harry Osborne is on the drugs and yes. what the drugs are is very vaguely defined because I don't think Stan wanted to do his research and find out how drugs work. But Harry is on drugs of some kind and he starts acting. It makes erratic. him wacky. Yeah, he's he, yeah erratic and wacky. And so Peter decides to go do something about the drugs and hunt down the guys who sold drugs to his friend. And it's literally there. Are they pills or is he smoking something? It's vague, but, you know, he's doing some drugs and then he's strung out afterwards and he has to like go in the hospital. He almost dies. Like it's literally think Stan's research was that he watched Reefer Madness one time and then did it from memory. <laughs> Maybe like in an, an episode of Columbo. Yeah. Right. So you, so it's extremely vague. And then beyond that, it's just, uh, you know, Spider-Man goes and punches people like it's just yeah. exactly what you'd expect it to be. Yeah, I, But I think, as I mentioned, there are precursors to a lot of these changes. I think there's a important one to consider for the Bronze Age. Mm-hmm. And that was getting to get an influx of new creators. Mm-hmm. So yeah. Roy Thomas at Marvel in about yep. 67. And the important part of that is that these were fans who had grown up reading comics. Yeah. Now mm-hmm. entering the field. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And that definitely changed the tone of a lot of comics. Absolutely. And wanting to do yeah, something so like more. Grown up. The, mm-hmm. A precursor and by 70 starting to get a real shift. And because most of those Golden Age creators are working through the Silver Age as well. It's yeah. a lot of the same creators. Well, and you, re- you read that Marvel saga or whatever it's called, that book that came out a few years ago on the history of Marvel and so many... The Marvel, the untold story. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and so many of those at the time, young creators, new creators coming into, like, like you say, they grew up reading comics, but they were also certainly part of their generation. So they might not have been allowed to write about drugs, but they were doing a lot of writing while on drugs. And, you know, and it's chronicled. In, yeah, it was chronicled in there. And yeah, read some issues of Warlock. And, you know, and Stan's and, unaware of it. And Stan's <laughs> completely unaware of it. But yeah. Yes, that Stan was stepping back from writing. He was he moved yeah. from editor mm-hmm. to publisher, and Roy Thomas was taking over most of the day to day work. Right. And so, so you can see that very different mm-hmm. point of view and influence coming in with this new generation of writers uh, that, that just changed the way the stories mm-hmm. were told. Well, so I would say though, because I said even though I think that this is where the Silver Age is ending and the Bronze <laughs> Age is starting, I would compare. I think it's very important to pair the Spider Man story that everyone knows and everybody points to the Green Lantern story. Green Lantern, Green Arrow, mm-hmm. which is Green Lantern Volume 2, 85 and 86, September and November 1971. So later in the same year, this is 
the story where we discover that Ollie's young ward, Speedy, as you know, you name a kid Speedy and then expect him to not do drugs. But but uh, but Roy Harper, a.k.a. Speedy, is on heroin. And unlike Harry Osborne, who's just, you know, doing the drugs, Roy is straight up on heroin and shooting and, up and, on the cover. And, yeah, <laughs> on the cover, which was that was one of those things that I mean, that harkens back to issues of horror comics and crime comics, of the early 50s, mm-hmm. the kind of stuff that brought about these juvenile delinquency hearings. And that's the kind of imagery that was just, you know, a no, no with the code. Right. But the code, it changed. Yeah, and, the code, it changed. And the, and the story doesn't, it's actually quite good. I like it a lot. The story does not say drugs are cool. It's drugs are bad, but Roy is completely strung out and it turns into a problem that because it's a superhero comic, Ali just wants to go punch somebody in order to make problem go away. And the end of the comic is basically drugs are a problem that, that Ali can't just punch. And Roy's going to go and try to rehab himself but he's just a drug addict now and this is just how we've got to deal with it so so it ends with with Ali and his son his adopted son you know they use the word ward but essentially his adopted kid basically just not on speaking terms anymore because Ali sees himself as having failed as a father and he's just too disappointed in his kid who's on drugs and it, it is a tra- tragic story that like that Roy is just like you weren't there for me you know what kind of father are you and, and Ali's like I tried to raise you better and, it, and it, it's very visceral and real and that for me is a different kind of storytelling where you know you're reading this it's 1971 and mm. compared to anything else coming out from the big two in 1971 this is like when Harry Osborne got off drugs he was fine like three issues later so so when uh, Neil Adams was at our store Neil Adams mm-hmm. drew that issue Daniel yeah, we had a, yeah Daniel Neil wrote Neil was standing there and there's somebody he had a big poster of that cover and uh, young lady they're looking at it and I don't think she's ever seen it before just based on her reaction Neil and his retiring calm ways see that cover right there that's one of the most important comics ever made and i drew it (laughs) yeah i drew it and i'm standing behind the counter and i'm thinking wow that's really arrogant but i that's exactly what i told my class last week so i yeah you can't argue with it it. he's not wrong (laughs) so this is also brings up one of the defining features of the bronze age which is the increased social relevance that they were tackling social issues Mm -hmm. and so you have the drugs you have really some of the first black superheroes i know it goes back to Mm. Black Panther, but now they're getting their own titles. You have the increase in female superheroes in response to second wave feminism. I'm not saying these were good. These were well-intentioned. It's still white men creating all of these. Yeah, yeah. Many of them are very problematic. But not quite getting what the point is. But they were trying. (laughs) Yeah. And so So, the other factor to consider is the business side. And this was, 70s were ups and downs, the beginning of real inflation on the price, on the covers, Mm -hmm. and also the beginning of the move to the direct market. Yeah. Before this, all comics were sold on a newsstand or like mom and pop stores and drugstores. And this was the beginning of creating stores that just sold comic books. And that was definitely one of the things that that I wanted to talk about with this, because once you get past Bronze Age, to me, all the ages just kind of collapse and become really fuzzy after that in my brain. So so we'd say Bronze Age is where, so just for keeping track, we're saying Bronze Age starts with these, these attempts to tackle social issues. For better or worse, there's the 71 has Spider-Man and Green Arrow both attempting to tackle yeah. drugs. You have Wonder Woman basically losing her powers and trying to become a feminist. Oh, a uh, yeah, yeah uh, the code gets rewritten and these are, you know, some of the stories are good, some of them are bad, but that's the 70s 
70s. And then now we're moving away into what forms the Bronze Age. And this is where it becomes hard and fuzzy and lots of discrepancies in talking and expect mm. we're going to have three different answers or maybe we won't. We didn't that's reveal well, ahead of time. So that's exactly what I want to get is what are people's opinions about these later ages. So like Golden Age, Silver Age, beginning of the Bronze, usually agreed upon. Mm-hmm. And now Vaguely. what comes mm-hmm. after? I have my ideas, mm-hmm. but I yeah. want you know, you know get everyone's I, I, input. For me, and this might just reflect my taste, and it's hard to pinpoint the exact moment of this because this overlaps with the beginning of the Bronze Age, is that change of the direct market. That just mm-hmm. that was such a radical sea change in not only the way comics were marketed, but because of the nature of it, types of comics that were being made. So mm-hmm. while superheroes continued in that Bronze Age fashion throughout the 70s and arguably the beginning of the 80s, the direct market with Jack Katz's Last Kingdom or Cerebus or ElfQuest or My Name is Savage were all in the creator-owned aspect of it, the fact that you could have a singular vision, you know, the author type thing. The early 80s when because you're going through the direct market, you could have smaller print runs and all that sort of thing. It allowed an explosion of brand new companies who were never going to be the level of Marvel and C, but mm-hmm. it allowed this tremendous surge of creativity. And I say that, I look back and I realize that so much of the stuff I loved right then were variations on superhero theme, but it opened up this door to just this explosion of creativity and different types of stories than we had been seeing for a very long time. But so much of the beginning of that direct market age overlapped with early, even early Bronze Age. You know, that, that, what, that My name is Savage and Jack Katz is Last Kingdom. That stuff was, what, 72, 73, 74, right in there someplace. So there's a lot of overlap. But you know, now, once again, we're, okay, ages of superheroes versus ages of other types of comics. And... <laughs> It's hard to put a year on that because like you're you're doing what I would do. And this is where, I mean, I know John's going to go last because he's the one wondering, like as for your project, I think people usually, when I see people try to enumerate this, they always point to 85, 86 in that era. And they point to one of either DC's Crisis on Infinite Earths. Mm -hmm. Actually, all of them are DC books because usually it's either DC's Crisis on Infinite Earths or Watchmen or Dark Knight. Those are the books they usually point out. And I don't think any of those are great guesses. I mean, I think that Watchmen is relevant because for me and probably many other people mm-hmm. reading Watchmen at the time as a comic book fan, yeah. I would have been 12 years old at the time and reading Watchmen it was a point where I could sit down and say, oh, this is different. I see yeah. something different is occurring, but I don't think it actually started there. I think yeah. this is where we have these fuzzy lines mm-hmm. and and I was aware that, you know, the well, paradigm think, had shifted. I yeah, was a, well, much aware in the in real I think Watchmen is very definitely Watchmen Dark Knight that 1986 year. I think it's definitely a demarcation, but it mm-hmm. didn't begin there. You know, Miracle Man, Squadron Miracle Supreme, Man. the Wolverine miniseries, and Daredevil as a comic book were not mm-hmm. telling Silver Age stories. No, and also throw in the Punisher miniseries. Yeah, yes, yeah. yeah, early I, in the 80s. And I think that transition did you know, was also there in Claremont run on X Men. Mm-hmm. You know, like, like th- those early X Men stories are essentially Silver Age stories, and then they become something different. I I would also argue the the later Teen Titans stories after are doing this as well. So so for me, the point that I use, because I also like Wayne, I believe that the direct market is very important on it. So it's not so much. I think people as fans have an inclination to go, well, what was happening in superhero comics that made this a different time? And I don't think it's so much happening in comics. I think it was something happening outside of the comics. So I use I think a very definite move is 1981 with the publishing of Dazzler number 
number one. I was just thinking that. Yeah. Dazzler number one is the first ongoing direct sales only book from Marvel or DC. Mm -hmm. So Marvel would say it's the first direct sales comic ever. It is not. It is not. It is a long shot. No, it is the one that they did and that they did as a as direct sales and it's only going to be direct sales ever. And that's it it was an experiment and it made it viable. And I'm sure you've heard this anecdote. The first comics convention I ever went to was at Duquesne University, your alma mater, Mm -hmm. in 1981. One of my alma maters. Yeah, one of your alma maters. (laughs) Pick Con 81, where I met Lynn Ween and Marv Wolfman and a whole bunch of other people. My first big comics con experience. And there was a panel with Michael Friedrich, who was a marketing director or something at Marvel time. And in this Mm -hmm. panel, he was, this is probably the first place I'd heard the direct market explained, like through various comics magazines. I'd seen pictures of Cerebus and Elfwest, but I had never actually seen them until this convention. But he explained what the direct market was and how this was the coming thing and they were going to be publishing Dazzler. This is before it came out talking about Dazzler and this is going to be direct sales only in comic shops. And I'm from a holler where there wouldn't be a comic shop for literally another 40 years, 45 years, and it didn't stay open over a year. I remember sitting in that panel thinking, oh my God, where am I going to get comics? Like I, there, there was sort of this panic of there's going to be all this stuff coming out that I will never have access to. Fast forward 20 years of living in a comic warehouse in most days of my life. But at the time that that was, you know, it, it, like I was aware of how much that changed the nature of mm-hmm. this part of it. But, you know, on the other end, it changed because once again, to explain, we're talking about code and the effect that had on what you couldn't, couldn't do in comics. Direct sales comics didn't have a code. You could do anything. Mm-hmm. So the, the underground yeah. comics of the 60s. Or they didn't and, have to. Dazzler did sometimes have code yeah, on it and sometimes yeah. it didn't and they just didn't but, care. Dazzler yeah. number one is kind of, it is code approved. Yeah. I don't know that they actually is what they, that anybody cared because it was going direct sales but Dazzler mm-hmm. number one has the code symbol on it but she's also she is I mean it functionally changes because being in this direct sales market where you don't have to worry about about selling on the newsstand so you don't have to justify yourself as the code meant that you could for the first time deal explicit explicitly with drugs not just through subtext mm-hmm. and not just and then you could deal with sex Dazzler mm-hmm. was sexually active as a young single woman where she would have a boyfriend and she would go home with them and you mm-hmm. and, I mean it's not like they're it's not like they're showing genitals or nipples at least not at first but they're but they are she is clearly in bed with people they clearly had sex and yeah, that and, happens and, and and casually she yeah. you know she dated several men well, it wouldn't and, work out she'd move on to the next one and Dazzler just like she was a young single woman mm-hmm. who liked to fuck and also hated bras she'd wear shirts yeah. that, were just, that were just open all the time so yeah well but then Marvel launched their epic line which were mm-hmm. direct sales it was their response to the direct sales market which had all these adult books and it was creator owned and they allowed people to create characters that weren't part of the Marvel Universe so at the same time the stuff with Dazzler was going on mm-hmm. we have Coyote which features an interracial throuple of multiracial mm-hmm. throuple who did a lot of peyote as mm-hmm. the main character you know so it's going on from technically from Marvel mm-hmm. at the same time as this Dazzler stuff so it just it's as so a, open as is I mean Marvel is at this time point publishing ElfQuest which was reprinting books that had already come out right but still they're publishing it but still they're publishing it right yes and then and they are also publishing Dreadstar which yeah. is just 
Starlin, Jim Starlin, com- legendary comics creator. Dreadstar is his creator own book. And it's just so Starlin, I guess, is probably today most famous for being Thanos. Is that? Yeah. That, yeah. I think that's probably. I, I think that's, yeah. But, uh, but, but also her- this is just Dreadstar is, is Starlin untethered. It's yeah. just like, here's where I'm letting my imagination. Howard, Howard shake his American flag. Yes. Mm-hmm. Same thing. You know, so the content so radically changed with the advent of direct market. Mm-hmm. So, so I just I see that as but you know, to me, that's an essential that is a different age of comics than what was taking mm-hmm. place in the 70s except everything that led to that was also taking place in the 70s right yeah. because it, because what they're doing is they are so I, I would argue that all of these sudden and I think it's easy to do with the big two to go with Marvel and DC because Watchmen and Dazzler these are all attempts of people to catch up to what the underground comics that we've been talking about had yeah. been doing like yeah. they're just like a, let's do those things but then I think it's not even so much that most of them are dark like people remember Watchmen as though it's this hyper violent hypersexual thing it's mm-hmm. not there's like four pages of fight in the entire 12 issues or six or something like that it's really short and there's like two sex scenes there's so little in it that like it's innovative for you know in retrospect but not but the innovation of it is the seriousness of the story and storytelling I think, techniques yeah right and I, I think that them making those moves in the direct market books in your Dazzler in your Watchmen has a ripple effect that affects the newsstand books as well. Because for me, even before Watchmen, and I hinted at this earlier, one of the real strong marks in of comics have grown up is New Teen Titans. Yeah. Which is in 1984, Starfire and now Nightwing are just in bed together. Mm-hmm. And that's just part of the story. And they you don't know, even it's really like, draw attention to it. It is, it, is bare, it is barely acknowledged. They just, you know, they are, it's not a sex scene. It's, you know, something wakes everybody up in the tower. And you see everybody running out of their bedrooms and Corey and Dick are in the same bed in the same room, clearly not wearing clothes. So they sleep nude and in the same bed, same bed because they're 20 years old. And that's, right. you know, in a couple. And of course you would. And it's not acknowledged. Nobody says anything. Nobody says, oh, what are you coming out of the same room for? It's just a yes, of course, they share this bedroom because they're a couple in their 20s and they have sex sometimes. And it becomes a regular thing in Titans to just sort of acknowledge that mm-hmm. Titans will eventually go direct sales only but at first it wasn't it was just very casual also in titans you know even before that i know we've talked about it on the show before one of my all-time favorite comics one of wayne's the judas mm-hmm. contract also in this time period where you learn that problematic story but you learn that tara is a sexually active 15 year old girl having an affair flash being manipulated by a 40 something year old man you know which death broke the terminator which i understand the problematic nature of this relationship but the mm-hmm. fact that they can address the problematic nature of this relationship is a major paradigm shift yeah. in comics. And the, and this is all happening in the early 80s. So yeah. for me, a lot yeah. of it's the sexuality and the darkness, but also just the seriousness of it. It's the fact that you can have gravitas in a way that's not just didactic way. Like, even though I love Snowbirds Don't Fly, which is what has, it's what people call the, the speedy story. Like, like I said, the one, the Spider-Man story, it's dumb. I mean, it's worth reading just as a historian, mm-hmm. but it's not good. Snowbirds Don't Fly, the speedy Green Lantern, Green Arrow story is really good but it yeah. is a very different kind of storytelling than what happens in uh, on the regular in Teen Titans yeah. on the regular in I mean all of Watchmen Dazzler you know might not be somebody's taste but Dazzler is telling grown up stories mm-hmm. she is a grown up woman trying to you know do grown up stuff and it's only barely a superhero story in the beginning Dazzler explicitly does not want to be a superhero she's a singer who because she has powers keeps getting inadvertently drawn into all this superhero stuff yeah 
I think uh, I hadn't considered some of that st- the precursors to the next age. Well, mm-hmm. I mark that, you know, the Watchmen, the Dark Knight, the, you also at this point have the beginning of the new universe at Marvel, which was in theory supposed to replace the Marvel universe. So like, I see that as the trends, but these precursors are really important of leading up to it and opening the doors for what came after. And so mm-hmm. I do the, I might push to 84 now for the start and say like 84 to 86 was the transition. And then after 86 is where kind of the whole market shifts towards that style of storytelling, which I call the dark age. I know a lot of people also like the iron age. Mm-hmm. I've heard the copper age turn around. Yeah, I think you're trying. It's the problem. It's the problem that happens in literary studies. So yeah, literary yeah. studies, we have this, uh, this point of time that we start calling the modern age, which right. is you know early 20th century. And then we say that the modern age ends and transitions to the postmodern age sometime in either the 1950s or the 1960s. But that, that was 60 years ago. Yeah, yeah right. What so, comes after that? Right? So are we in the post postmodern age? We don't know. It's yeah. really hard to like name stuff when you're in the midst of it. So, yeah. yeah. I know hey, people hey. say the dark age. Is that a real thing? Is it just part of the modern age? If, are we still in the dark age? I don't think it's uh, easy it, to demarcate it. But I would, on this I, one, I will mm-hmm. cite Paul Levitz, who mm-hmm. was writer beginning of a teenager in the 60s, was president of DC Comics for several years, and a couple of years ago wrote a history of DC Comics. And he demarcated uh, about every 15 years as gold, silver, bronze, mm-hmm. dark, and then modern. I think the, I think for modern, you have to keep shifting that. That's just whatever is the contemporary age that yeah. doesn't yeah. have a name yet. Which then doesn't say it, ends up not saying it. Though. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and that, that's the problem. There's a hotel in, in Disney World called the Contemporary Hotel, which one was built was years ahead of its time. Mm-hmm. And then for like one Thursday afternoon was actually contemporary. And then it was completely out of date after that. <laughs> so, so I, and I feel that same way about those terms of modernism and postmodernism has taken on meaning mm-hmm. beyond yeah. just a demarcation of a time period. Yeah, so mm-hmm. You really have to be clear on your use of, no, mm-hmm. I'm not referring to literary movements. I'm just talking yeah. about modern as what is current. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And that, that dark age thing, I mean, you know, people pinpoint you know, late 80s, 90s for that stuff. I, you know, I, man, so much, and I point to DC, Marvel as well, up through the aughts, up until the late 2008, 9. I mean, all that Final Crisis stuff and Secret Invasion. And to, to me, that was far darker than a lot of the stuff coming the night. Dark age is unfortunate. It's a, it's an unfortunate, I don't think it's yeah. what most people mean when, and they use that phrase, It's they use it pejoratively. Yeah. Even if they're not trying to. Right. When they say dark age, what they mean is I don't like early image comics. That's what yeah. they mean. And, yeah. you know, fair. Okay. It's not your thing. I get it. But like, but it was you, very you much a thing if, of its time. Yeah, if you but, use that to do, refer to that entire era, you're also referring to Bone. Thank you. And Zod. Well, Bone's not a, super, not a superhero. And yeah. Sandman. Zod is. Sandman Zod is. is. Yeah. Starman. Well, Sandman begins this one, but then transforms yeah. into something. See, this is where yeah. you get into the right. real granular stuff of, oh, is it this genre? Is it something else? Is it yeah. part of the universe? Right. Therefore, but I, Superhero, but only is, calling it that. My problem with it is, are you only making these distinctions? Because is, are we talking about time period or if we're talking about time period, it doesn't matter. We could just use the years. We could just say 1990s comics. Mm-hmm. But I think what we're getting at when people are saying Dark Age, they're talking about the fallout of Watchmen. But again, if we think Watchmen is very distinctly a Bronze Age comic, the fallout of Watchmen and Dark Knight was a lot of people wanting to do grim and gritty comics. It was mm-hmm. and they became popular and people were like, oh, well, they learned the wrong lessons from Watchmen. I've said that. Yeah. I say it all the time. Yeah. Learned, yeah. Learned, but I don't think that's really fair because what's wrong is the lesson that Mav doesn't want you to learn because if you're, if the lesson that you want to learn is that, hey, it kind of kicks ass when people shoot people and, you know, girls with big boobs are hot. Like, that's an okay lesson to learn. It's not my lesson, but like, if mm-hmm. that's what you want, you know, people were selling 
those comics for a reason. Like it's and not selling a lot of them. Yes. And it's, yeah. and some of them I read, I mean, I will say like, Wayne, you know, you worked at the store that I shopped at after I stopped working at the store and like, just pick one at random. I unabashedly love Danger Girl. I mm-hmm. think Danger yeah. Girl is great. I, I think it's hilarious. I get it. I think it, I was a huge fan of those first 12 issues of the authority. Yes. And yeah, and those are, and these are in that realm. And I think people call them dark because, because there's a sameness about them and because they want to feel better about themselves for saying, well, I'm a real comic book fan because I read Sandman, but Sandman mm-hmm. was during that time period. Damn it. Like that's mm-hmm. like, oh, yeah, like, 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 like that's my thing. Well, it, it, and so was eight ball and hate and neat stuff. And that kind of love and rockets throughout all of this. Yeah. Well, love and rockets yeah, again, goes I mean, through all time. Why <laughs> we probably need a different history of comic books versus the history of superheroes, even though they're interrelated yeah. like this. Yeah. But I think uh, even superheroes, I mean, the same era, but mm-hmm. our phone and eight ball and such would those be superheroes? Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe not, but young, just young justice, favorite, favorite comic of mine in this time period. And it's just young justice is just a delightful. I mean, they are intentionally not dark. They are altruistic and hopeful because they're not, they're explicitly not Titans, right? They're a bunch of younger kids. They're millennials trying to find their own way and still full of hope. And they have not been ruined by the world yet. That's like what young justice is. And it's, and so it's clearly a superhero comic. And I don't think it fits in that dark world. Mm -hmm. I think there are other, I'm trying to think there's, there's gotta be, there's probably plenty of other ones that weren't dark, but Oh, Supergirl. Peter David Supergirl during that time period. The other thing I would say is around 97, you start to get the shift and it's a reaction to a lot of the stuff that had been going on with the image boom and the popularity of Wolverine and Punisher and Mm -hmm. the grim and gritty characters who were the best sellers for most of the 90s. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Get Grant Morrison's JLA. The Mm -hmm. heroes return with Busick and Mark Wade on Avengers, Captain America, Fantastic Four and Iron Man. And you also get Stormwatch, which is Mm -hmm. precursor to the art style that's going to drive the 2000s on with the widescreen style. Mm -hmm. So you Mm -hmm. definitely have these precursors that are indicating, oh, there's a shift coming. But, you know, Mm -hmm. also around 97, you have Marvel Knights, Mm -hmm. which is arguably continuing the greed and gritty just in a different way. You have, I mean, you have Excalibur, just to name my other show, you know, Mm -hmm. that's 88 through 98. That's during during the entire arcade, however you want Mm -hmm. to label it, if you want to label it. But, and there are parts of it that try to do dark, but there are also parts of it that are just a ridiculously silly book, which is what Mm -hmm. I love about it, right? So I don't think we should be doing it based on simple story grit level because we don't do that with any of the other ages. It's not Mm -hmm. like the Silver Age, which is dumb. Silver Age, we (laughs) say, hey, this is where all the dumb comics are, but they weren't all that, right? Like, the ones we remember as notable for the Silver Age are Superman doing horrible things to Lois and Jimmy, right? But, like, that time period also has some very innovative things. It has all the stuff we were just talking about at Marvel, where, you know, they're trying to tell poignant stories about racism with X-Men or with the invention of Black Panther as a character. These are things that are happening during the Silver Age and into the Bronze Age that are, I don't I don't think quality or presumed quality should be denotative of a context shift in the same way that, hey, we are functionally changing the ways in which we market yeah. books, which is well, what the know, Bronze Age was. Gold and silver, bronze are neutral terms that mm-hmm. they kind of indicate passage of time, whereas dark has a pejorative element to right. it. Right. And, and it was chosen really- because of, it was chosen because people wanted to pretend that they didn't like image comics anymore and you know conveniently forgetting that these were the like again I worked at a store they were the best selling comics of the 90s like these are five guys who left Marvel out of nowhere
nowhere, there were five artists who said, you know what, we'll take our business with us. And damn it, they did. Now, yeah, it imploded and it didn't stick. <laughs> <laughs> but it, but like for a minute, Youngblood was selling like gangsta gangbusters. I think you brought up a good point of that's what we remember. And it's always mm-hmm. this looking backwards. And I think that's what's happened. Part of what I was talking about is why do these ages matter? Why do we do demarcations at all? Mm-hmm. And it's, you know, how we look back and we want to say, well, that period's done. Mm-hmm. That's self-contained now. And we've moved mm-hmm. on to something new. And I think particularly this discussion about where does the Bronze Age end, if it ended to 90s, shows that, no, it's really messy yeah. of trying to say, oh, yes, here's a definitive endpoint. No, there was precursors. There were post-cursors. Say, we point to these as paradigm shifts, but, you know, it's not absolute in most of these cases. Even looking at the Silver Age, yeah, we point to the comics code, but a lot of the storytelling style is still Golden Age. It just takes a little bit to shift and put it in a new context. Mm-hmm. It's still a lot of the same style of storytelling. So, so then the question becomes, and I think we talk about the vagueness of defining is modern and dark the same thing? And, eh, you know, I think John's statement of, you know, is modern always the most recent is a fair thing to do. I tend to not think so. I tend to mean 1985, but here's where it's a question. Are we still in that same age right now? Are we still in dark or modern now? Or have we moved on? Because I have, no. I have a, I, yeah, you say I, no. I, I, I say no as well. Because it's, but now this is where it gets really hazy because people differ on how many ages have there been since Bronze Age. I think Bronze Age gave way to something that I will loosely call dark for lack of a better term or the image age or the iron age or whatever you want to call it. Right. Like I, I think that there's a different thing there. I think something else changed and ended at a very specific point. And I'm wondering, so we all agree that it's different. What do you think we're in now or, and why is it different? Cause I have a very specific moment for mine. Well, that, that's actually two different questions. Where did, mm-hmm. yeah. when did, and what movie are we in now? Because I argue, I was going to argue that there was an age from about 2000 to 2016 ish. And now we're in a sixth age. Okay. Okay. And I'm calling that early 2000s to early 20 teens, the Baroque age. Okay. Based on and what's, what are, what's the demarker? It's the uh, change in management at Marvel and DC an influx of oh. a lot of new writers and the emphasis mm-hmm. on writers over artists because of image. Mm-hmm. Okay. You have the introduction of ultimate Marvel as part of that. Fair. And then the world that Bendis, the world, the world that Bendis built. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, and, and that's really what it was. I mean, it's about writers. It, it's a many writers, but one in particular, to be honest. And this Marvel and Bendis really being the predominant and then to a lesser extent, Jeff Johns over at DC. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Jeff Johns so you, and, like, and, and Ellis. Yeah. And then you have a bunch of writers that bounce back and forth between them. Ed Gail Simone. Baker, Matt Fraction. Gail Simone. Definitely Gail in Simone, there. Yeah. I'm blanking. There are so many that Peter just David. have started, came in yeah. at that early 2000 period, a lot from crime writing and dominated for at least 10 years. And I call it Baroque because what happens, it gets overwrought and it gets editorially driven starting particularly about 2008. There was some signs earlier where it's, you have event driven storytelling that has mm-hmm. to be micromanaged by editors and it, it just increases as it goes on. So over at Marvel, when Axel Alonso takes over as editor in chief, everything had to tie into the every, whatever, every and, event. Yeah. 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 Every and, event and, 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 or whatever and, label they were putting on post event, everything had to tie in. Yeah. Uh, was, mm-hmm. Over at DC, you had the new 52. At least that first year, everything had to tie together. <laughs> you have this micromanaging of editors and eventually that has to shift. I think I'm going to point to the end of the new 52 mm-hmm. as that period. <laughs> okay. Overlapping. I, I was going to throw something in there that I saw happening in that period that I think has more of an effect on what we're seeing now, which was the, while it had been here for a long time, but the dramatic influx in popularity of manga, bringing in a whole new breed of readers. Well, who well we didn't even talk about the library market, which 
started in the 90s, but, but, along with manga, it just explodes in the early 2000s. Yeah, but that, the influence of manga on the next generation of creators, because I mm-hmm. think... And to readers. Me, the, and readers. To me, the story of the last 10 years hasn't necessarily been Marvel and C. It's been Rain oh, no. and Yeah, and that's... Yeah, whatever, what whatever Scholastic's doing, and yeah. like mar- manga's kind of the only section that grows in a bookstore nowadays. Everything yeah. else shrinks. Well, but then, but again, same question. Those aren't superheroes anymore, but they're comics, so this is yeah. where we're, where we're seeing the split. Well, some, some are, yeah. Most, some, yeah. yeah. Some of the yeah. most popular manga are looking at My Hero Academia and One Punch mm-hmm. Man. Those sure, are specifically sure. looking at superhero tropes. Mm-hmm. But, but not, yeah, yeah, I'm just saying not all of them. Yeah. The vast majority <laughs> of manga are not. The manga influence has shown up in the mainstream Marvel and DC comics as well. Absolutely. Look at stuff like Squirrel Girl or that mm-hmm. Patsy Parker Hellcat series. You see that influence on that gen- this new, quote-unquote, new generation of creators. So, Wayne, you're are, arguing that the manga generation is like, or the manga age is sort of what came after Dark or Modern or whatever we want to call it? Yeah, I, I don't I, yeah, I hadn't really thought of using that term because, and once again, manga refers to such a specific thing in my mind, but that right. manga influence. Although I, you, I will, uh, I'm going to piggyback on the manga. I'm going to piggyback on manga and also point yeah. to Webtoon. Oh, are, yeah. are read far more than any issue yeah. of a superhero comic book. Mm-hmm. So yes. much so that DC actually is now making Webtoons for one of the Webtoon apps. And Marvel, yes. of course, has their own app. And they do a, have started doing a lot of that Webtoon format of scrolling with original comics for that. Which yeah. you're right. And that's been going on for 20 plus years at this point. And you're right. There's more of that read than anything I sold in the store. Yeah. You know, one of my Mav knows, you know, one of my favorite comics, Giant Days, which I think at some point is going to be a Paganist podcast. But, you know, Giant Days, one of my favorite books of the last mm-hmm. 10 years. John Allison, the creator, started that quote unquote universe online in the late 1990s and has been doing it. So there's Giant Days. But boy, if you dig into the John Allison world, boy, is there a shit ton of stuff to read that eventually got published on paper. But you know, 20 years of online story where he developed characters in this world and his art style and his writing. And he's had this tremendous following long, mm-hmm. long before Jefferson. So, yeah, that influence, yeah. I think, is yeah, the, enormous. Yeah, the whole website is, especially outside the United States, has exploded. Mm-hmm. And we're still trying to catch up on the super, with American superheroes trying to catch up on that. So, and for me, I think that with that, also with the manga and the webtoons, looking increasingly at an international market, you don't necessarily have to write just to the American audience. Most yeah. still do, but yeah. Oh, yeah. the idea that there is this bigger market is also influencing the storytelling. For me, a big thing about it, and this is where I thought it was very important at the beginning of this episode to like distinguish between, you know, we we link superheroes and comics sort of inherently because they were so they were so much the same thing for much of their joint histories, but they're not really the same thing. So for me, I think the important day that like sort of starts this next age is I will also say early 2000s, opinion on who there's a book came out two years ago called Adapting Superman, where I are, where <laughs> which is uh. edited by John, where I argued specifically changes on October 16th, 2001 with the first episode of TV show called Smallville. Like, yeah, the post 2000 synergy mm-hmm. with Hollywood. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah. Well, yeah. I wouldn't say, well, I wouldn't They're say really synergy. Like the yeah. first, like the like, first that's the like, thing. four or five years were synergistic and then they went their own the, way. Yeah. Well, okay. So here's the thing, right? So Smallville is in 2001, October 16th. The X-Men movie is in 2000, the first X-Men movie. It's in July of 2000. A couple of years before that is the first Blade movie. And I think that we're hitting this term, this time that by 2001 with Smallville, you have a point where superheroes are primarily 
existing out, outside of comics. Like So for the listener, Adapting Superman is a book about various versions of Superman in mediums that are not comics. John edited it. I'm in it. I wrote a chapter in it. And the entire premise of that book is that Superman has always existed outside of the realm of comics. There's a radio show. There's been several TV shows. There's been video games. There's been cartoons with Super Friends and everything. And people very much remember, for instance, people specifically will remember the, the Christopher Reeves movie as like Christopher Reeves is my Superman, right? I think that you have a very specific thing that happens with Smallville where that show runs for 10 years. That's why I chose it when we when John pitched the book. Yeah, because so that you, show you really love watching all 10 years of it. Oh gosh, it was so painful. I mean, I enjoyed it out, but then when I realized, oh, but I have to watch all of these in like, you know, a month and a half <laughs> period. I just had to binge all, all of Smallville in like six weeks and I'm like, oh my God, this hurts. And then I had to in order, I had to go and watch several other Superman adaptations at the same time just to make certain points. It was a lot more painful than I thought. But the point I'm making is... Well, Mav, um, thank you for all that work. Yeah. Great <laughs> You're welcome. But here's the thing. Tom Welling has to this day been Superman, or at least Clark Kent, because he never calls himself Superman on the show, but he's been, he's played that character more than anyone else in the history of the world. He is the, like, we don't think of him that way, but Tom is Superman in that on screen, time on screen, he by far, like by by no one else is even close with number of hours of hours portraying that character. Most writers have not written Superman as much as Tom Welling played Superman. And so I would argue that in the 2000s, certainly by 2001, certainly by 2011, when it ends, when Smallville ends, you have a world where the idea of Superman is not inherently tied to the comics. The comics wouldn't like them to be. And there's a lot of when 2008, when the Marvel Universe happens, Tony Stark starts looking a lot like Robert Downey Jr. because we're calling it synergy, but really it, comics are not the important thing anymore. The movies are the important thing now, right? So Tony Stark starts looking more like Robert Downey Jr. Hawkeye starts looking a lot more like Jeremy Renner and Captain America starts looking like Chris Evans. So you start retrofitting them because you're trying to get that audience there. And I would argue in the same way for, we've talked about this on the show before, Batman... <laughs> Batman is he's not Michael Keaton and Batman is not some voice Batman is Kevin Conroy in my head like because the definitive version of that character at this point is no longer the comic book character no matter who's writing a Batman story when I read it I just hear Kevin Conroy's Batman voice in my head because that's how Batman sounds because that has become the definitive version and I would argue that for many things that's what this is now right so you have like all the marvel books the you know the fact that the fact that there are wars online about like should james gunn be rebooting this or do we need to restore the snyderverse and everything like this is people i don't care for those movies but this is people caring on a visceral level that we've not seen since the 1950s like there's no you know mm -hmm. do you remember when like dc just decided to throw out all of their continuity like suddenly one day in 1985 and you know damn you if you don't care if you don't like it right and like 
comic book fans have always been touchy. There were people who were like, oh, no, we want to restore the universe from the moment crisis happened. And the same thing with Rebirth and New 52 and all those things. Like, this is a thing that happens in comics, but the companies mostly don't care. There are people with visceral. They are ready to do violence on you reactions to the Snyderverse and James Gunn. So how many I, of those I think we are functionally in a different level. None. Yeah. But that's my point. It doesn't matter. I'm sure some do, but it doesn't yeah. matter because I don't think the age is about, you know, floppy paper anymore. Like, well, is it not a superhero story because I didn't kill a tree? I don't think so. Like, I think that what what was magical about those stories has more or less transformed. You know, it's left the original medium and the default yeah. medium is now a different medium. The default medium is now film. Now, yeah. it's not that comics don't matter. I still read them. And I think a lot of the most innovative stuff, you know, we're just talking about like, like, like I just wrote this thing about Batman because I think that the innovative stuff with Batman happened under Tom King. But I also think a lot of innovative stuff is happening on the HBO Max series starring Harley Quinn, right? Like there's a lot of, like I I think, and also I would say, even though I didn't write about it, I would say some of the most innovative Batman stuff in years is in the Arkham Asylum video game. Mm -hmm. So I think that now we're in a transmedia age is sort of far more important than anything that's happening in the comics as a whole. I mean, the comics are a part of it. That's why it's transmedia. It's not comics, it's yeah. but comics and other media. And this I, might reframe some of my ideas for mm-hmm. the essay. Yeah, and, and I think those are all really good points. And I, it does apply, I think, primarily to the Marvel and DC characters, the superheroes, but even, you know, we had the Scott Pilgrim movie, which more people mm-hmm. saw never read the graphic novel. Oh, God, probably by a factor uh, of a thousand. Yeah, right, exactly. More. But, you know, not everything is being translated to those media things. And, you know, <laughs> and I, you know I've said for a long, long time, you know, so many of my favorite comics, while I still read some superhero comics, I just recently read two more recent Tom King Batman stories, Batman Catwoman and the one that, mm-hmm. they, I forget what the other one was called. Killing Time. Yeah. And I liked both of them a lot. I like it still like, wow, Tom King is still nailing it with Batman. It's so mm-hmm. good to read a Batman story I liked after 40 years. Because I, you know, I, you know, we've talked as much as I grew up loving superheroes and still feel really invested in the genre, obviously. Boy, that has not been my favorite comic series well, for old. a long time. Because we're old. You know, I've yeah. this stuff. But so the stuff I get really drawn to in comics form are not the X-Men anymore. And you know, and I am definitely one of those people. A lot of my superhero junkie kick gets fulfilled by the movies and the TV series. Mm-hmm. And I would say, but even outside, of, I mean, again, now I'm going to wish Monica was here. Monica will absolutely tell you the Fast and Furious characters are superheroes. Yeah. There's no comic yeah. book, but Dominic Toretto, Vin Diesel's character, is just a superhero. And mm-hmm. frankly, the last couple of movies have left little doubt about that. They're damn near bullet. Yeah, there's, that's a fascinating and separate point about genre where <laughs> like in the golden age it had to establish all the tropes and conventions of a genre and after that it is more of the contract of the, with the reader as long as both the author and the reader agree this is a superhero it's a superhero <laughs> it doesn't have to have all the elements as you may have wrote in the superman essay Clark Kent never gets in costume until or the superman costume until yeah. the very last episode the Still last a scene <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, like, yeah he's, he's will... yeah, entirely a superhero the entire yeah. story and that's because as the viewer and the creators, we all agree he's a superhero. And so, so a lot of those conventions don't matter, especially by 2000. And I think that's where, I mean, I think that's where we are. It's sort of, it's always weird when people argue to me, like, is this a superhero story? Is it or not? It's like all of them are like, literally there is yeah. no, in, in the year 2023, I don't know that we have non superheroes. Like our, he- our heroes are, you know, Wayne, one of our favorite books, both of us is our gods wear spandex, you mm-hmm. know, our idea now of what a hero is 
so informed by 90 years of superherodom that I just don't think that genie goes back in the bottle ever, right? Mm. <laughs> like, it's just like, this is just the reason Dom and Toretto is damn near superhuman is because that's just how we write heroes now. And it's not just Fast and the Furious, right? Like, like, like I'm hard pressed to tell you what changes, what changes a character like, I don't know, John McClane from Die Hard into something functionally different than Luke Cage. I don't yeah. know. Well, I'll point to two recent examples. One, the John Wick series. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and another to show how this is expanded beyond the United States where, you know, a lot of scholars will argue that superheroes are an American genre. And that's where mm-hmm. it begins, but it's expanded mm-hmm. so far out. I, we talked about the manga, but also last year where there was the Hollywood film RR. Yes. Those guys, are, those just guys so are just superheroes. Much. Yeah, they're, and, it's, and that's historical fiction, <laughs> yeah. roughly. And it's just like, yeah, but they have superpowers just because, because that's what makes movies interesting now. So, yeah. Yeah. so we resolve nothing. No, I, we haven't. I would I, say we resolved some things and gave me yeah. a lot of food for thought for my essay. <laughs> good, good. That's our primary purpose. No, this has all been fascinating because, yeah, it's yeah. breaking it down like this. You know, I, I take so much of this for granted, like we said at the beginning, without really pausing to think about, and particularly the later stuff, just what are the demarcations? Why do we think this was? Some of the early ones, like those, those points that we pointed out for the Golden Age and Silver Age, those are pretty well, that's well-covered territory. Mm-hmm. And you know, like I say, we can quibble with a specific issue or date, but I think in general, it's easy to see those movements. But yeah, I, as I said earlier, I think starting with the underground and direct market, things get just remarkably. And yeah. I do think there are think differences between the superhero and comics in general. Well, it becomes a question of what history are you telling? What history yeah. do you want to talk about? Yeah. And you get strict so lines are, Right. I don't know that strict lines are really necessary, other than the fact that we like arguing about minutia <laughs> as geeks, you know, and I really don't. Well, I mean, yeah, but it's, like, the, but, it's that whole generational thing, you know, boomers, Gen X, what year did one start and the other end? Well, <laughs> yeah, you know. Right, right. It's, I mean, vague and hazy. And even in, if you actually are dealing with anybody who does sociology or demographics or cultural studies, what we'll all tell you is we don't tend to use those terms in any serious academic way because it's not useful other than to distinguish a vague sense of time because you don't feel like distinguishing it in specifics. If I wanted to really talk about people who were born in the 1970s, I would say people born in the 1970s. Right. Like I would not say Gen Xers. And I, yeah. you know, because Gen Xers is also people in the 60s, you know, like, and it's like, eh, you know, it's like, there's so vague. I, I And this is a whole other topic, but I think, you know, there's generational shifts, different cohorts, the different personality tropes they associate with it because of this, you know, rapid advance technology. I think those cohorts are getting smaller. Yeah. You know, the experience smaller or quicker. It's a more like flaw a issue. Episode. You yeah. have another topic now. <laughs> so often they are. Yeah. <laughs> But anyway, John, thank you. Yeah, that was great. And I always wonder, let us know in the comments if you like shows like this, where we sort of work out a topic on the air, because that's what the show was at the start. One of the original purposes of this show was Mav has to write a dissertation and he's got some ideas that he needs to work out. So, so, so we're going to do it. 
we're going to do it on a podcast and I'm done now. Oh, but like, but I still do write articles for stuff. And a lot of, you know, a lot of our show ideas have become, that's why we've had the PCA shows, you know, Katya had to do the same thing. And then once we brought Hannah on same thing. And now, you know, Monica is at the beginning of her grad school career, but the same thing. There's a lot of our ideas are arts working out thoughts. And a lot of our shows you know, are often, you know, we've got a person who is an expert in something and we want to talk about their research, but I kind of like shows where we're just kind of working through the concept. So yeah, Don, for too. coming and doing that, because I mean, I hope it's interesting to the listeners to hear us sort of debate it and work it out. But that's the process that happens at these conferences. That's always been fun to me. Like the, wow. you know, the part of the part of being an academic where you have to actually write a bulletproof peer reviewable paper, that part's aggravating and work and hard. The fun part is when you just get to talk about it with people and, and yeah. just explore the ideas. So like, so that's what this show at its best is, at least for me. So that said, John, where can people find out stuff about like what you're writing, like these articles? <laughs> Anything you uh, want to promote? We have my brother's podcast, Protagonist Podcast, which I'm a frequent guest on. The Disney Animation Minute Essentials should be coming back this year. Mm-hmm. I don't if have you're a date also on guest that. One. <laughs> I, will also, I haven't recorded episodes about 101 Dalmatians the next film. I have. I've, I've recorded I'm mine. Sure I, yeah, mm-hmm. I'm sure I will have some episodes there. And <laughs> I will have a, another book this summer, likely this summer, that I co-edited, this time on the films of Wes Craven. I'm not so in that one because I didn't, I felt unqualified, so I'm not in that one. I believe it's <laughs> a critical companion to Wes Craven mm-hmm. will be the title. Very cool. And Wayne, what about you? As always, mostly here. <laughs> yeah, I don't have any books and things. I have this thing I'm working on, which uh, I've alluded to many episodes. We'll see where we get to it. I'll be talking about way too much. And even though we haven't talked about that series specifically on the show, I've worked out a lot of ideas on this show. You know, while I was writing it, a lot of the stuff that we talk about here was applicable. So, And as always, you can follow me on Twitter or Instagram or Facebook, all the places, always at Chris Maverick. You can follow the show, all those same places at Box Popcast. You can follow the show's blog, www.boxpopcast.com, where we post about whatever we're going to be talking about next week. Or I think because I'm not even going to posit a guess because once again, I'm not sure what we did last week. I'm not sure uh-huh. which order the shows are coming out again. I'm going to be honest with you. We have like roles where we've not like, there's no official roles at Vox Popcast, but like people have fallen into them and Hannah keeps her schedule and she's not here today. <laughs> so I'm not sure what's happening next week. I'm not sure what happened last week, but, but you can be sure if you go to the blog and you can read about it, you can leave us comments, you can leave us comments on this show or any other show. You can suggest topics. Sometimes we pick guests from comments. And so you can let us know what you want us to talk about or what is interesting or whether you have things to add to the conversation that we had today, because I'm sure, I mean, I would like to hear more and I'm sure John would, because John's got a paper to write. So if you enjoy the show and we certainly hope you do, then please subscribe to us on iTunes or Stitcher or Spotify or wherever the hell else you get podcasts from and do us a favor. Leave us a five-star review. That really helps us out, especially if you leave us a review, not just the rating on iTunes, Apple podcasts that gooses the algorithm, makes us more popular and makes me feel all warm and fuzzy inside. I would like to thank Maximilian of Thought for Music for our epic theme song building ever so more epically and playing us out. I'd once again like to thank John for joining us. I'd like to thank you for listening, and we'll see you next time. Bye. Bye.